You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek, and I've got my co-host, Ryan, with me. Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode 29 of the podcast, where we talk about Nicolas Cage movies, every single one of them. We spin our wheel o cage to determine which movie we're going to talk about next. And this time we got 1999's crime thriller drama, 8mm. And so before we dive into that movie, we do want to include a trigger warning for a lot of heavy, serious stuff, um, including sexual assaults, rape, pedophilia, other violent things that are not good. So, uh, yeah, it's a heavy movie. Um, you can learn a little bit more. I believe the website is called um, doesthedogdie.com, I believe is the name of the site, but it will go into some level of detail about things that may be unsettling in movies and you can decide if you want to watch and or hear about this movie so this has been your warning for that ryan anything you want to add there no i mean it's a very very dark subject matter movie so yeah the heed the trigger warning of any of those things sound like something that will cause you mental strife yes yeah the uh synopsis on imdb is Quote, a private investigator is hired to discover if a snuff film is authentic or not. The movie is written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who brought us the movie Seven, for example. It was directed by Joel Schumacher, who gave us Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, but also like the number 23. So Schumacher was a little kind of all over the place in his day. Movie, of course, stars Nicolas Cage. We've got Joaquin Phoenix, James Gandolfini, Peter Stormare and Catherine Keener. Yeah, it's a stacked cast for sure. It is. It is. But uh, the way we handle this is Ryan takes meticulous notes as he watches the movie. And then we go through those notes and kind of go through the movie in that order. So, Ryan. Yeah. I I do want to say that 1999 was a big year for movies in general. Uh, I believe we got The Matrix that year. We did. The Fifth Element. Yeah uh there's some other good ones too but those are the two that big two that off the top of my head so eight millimeter very different uh in terms of like content than what, what some of those other big hit movies i actually don't know how i know that a lot of people know of this movie and talk about this movie it's not one that i had seen before mm-hmm. but it's one i and it's one i probably won't ever see again um but you know it seems like a lot of Nicolas cage fans do talk about this movie it's kind of like leaving las vegas in that sense where people talk speak highly of it but then you know they don't really it's not like the one they go to to watch you know when they need their nicholas nicholas cage fix so yeah some movies you, you only need to see the one time yeah this is definitely one of those movies yeah all right let me get to my notes here sorry we got i got so many notes these days it's hard to you know get through my book i'm almost i'm almost uh in a little more than halfway through wow. my love letters to Nicolas Cage notebook, <laughs> which isn't actually love letters to Nicolas Cage. It's just notes from all these movies. Anyway. Yeah. The intro for this movie was just like a film reel, mm-hmm. like, like a, you know, old school thing, which is where the eight millimeter comes from. You know, eight millimeter could describe a lot of things. In this case, yeah, it does describe the film so, format. Yeah, so it, right away, it's it's telling you this is not talking about a, a, some firearm designation or something like that. It's talking about the 8mm film format. So that was an easy way to do that. Um, yeah, and then my second note, we've already kind of touched on, but Joel Schumacher. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't realize that going in. I was like, holy crap, this guy is the guy that made Mr. Freeze in the Batman movies with Arnold and... Uh, and also this movie, very opposite ends of the spectrum. Ryan, I'm going to need you to chill a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this does does lend credence to the rumors of the like much darker, more serious Schumacher cut of that Batman movie. So you know, that I he, think that's it, interesting. And he has done more serious. Stuff. Yeah, he has. I guess I'm I'm not as familiar with this heavier stuff. Um, but yeah, that was surprising to me. It's it's a little weird, right? Because like we grew up on his Batman movies, and so we have a very specific vision for him. But 
you know, he, he did Phantom of the Opera. He did Phone Booth. Uh, I had mentioned the number 23. That was the heavy Jim Carrey horror flick. Um, or I guess yeah, and it's sequel thriller. 24. <laughs> Cute. But you didn't need to watch the first 22 to get you know what was happening in 23 so that's good uh-huh uh-huh um so then we just lay, start right away with casual smoking which is a pretty big theme through this movie lots of smoking lots yeah. and lots of smoking and in 99 i feel like that's a stretch because stuff was starting to slow down in regards to smoking in movies i think at this point it was still happening but it wasn't sure. like it was in like 1991 for example yeah, I also thought it was building towards something because kind of yeah, like that's too. It, it that seems like... like it's setting up a theme, but right. you never really get any kind of payoff for that. Well, because like so he's so Nick Cage is his private investigator, right? And so he's away from home a lot. He's got a wife, Catherine Keener, and they have a young like infant at home, and he lies about the smoking, and seemingly that's the only thing he lies to her about. So I thought that was going to be a catalyst for something later yeah. in the movie you basically just hit my next like three notes oh i'm sorry <laughs> my next note was private investigator where is that's established that that's what although you're not really sure at the beginning like is he a cop what is he but it's pretty yeah it's pretty early it looks you know as a private investigator and then yeah casually lying about smoking um i thought that was going to be a payoff too because you know it's something that we've talked about before it's a theme in a lot of these nick cage movies that he plays an asshole yeah, and so I thought in this case it was going to be the asshole lying to his wife, and yes, that's he, he is kind of an asshole to his wife in this movie in a lot of ways, but uh, that is not really. She knows that it's happening, right? Yeah, like she's she doesn't have a lot to do. Like Catherine Keener is a, is kind of wasted in this role because she's actually she's a really good actor, but she doesn't have much to do here. Yeah, she's um, mostly just a damsel in this movie, which is really disappointing. It is, but she is aware. Like she's not an idiot. She knows that our buddy nick uh, uh, tom wells is his name is lying to her right um i also had on there that i thought it was great that there was a wife of similar age in this movie oh yeah you know i didn't even think about that yeah, yeah. good catch then right away we get a nick cage sex scene <laughs> which is great we don't get to see any which is great we don't get to see any cage booty, but uh, which is another square on our bingo card, I think. But uh, Nick sex scene is on our bingo card. <laughs> yes, Nick sex so. scene is, uh, is. I don't know if we have nudity. I don't see nudity on the card. I thought there was one for Nick Cage shows his butt. Or uh, something. That one didn't make the cut this week. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> just it's we have some that just rotate in and out. So, um, so this is kind of a weird one, but maybe and maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. We get a scene after the sex scene of him like raking leaves in his front yard. Yeah. Which we get a couple scenes of that in the movie. But in this one in particular, there's smoke. Like there's a, you can clearly see this one point in the yard where there's smoke coming out. And it doesn't really make any sense. It looks like they just set up a smoke machine and covered it with like some sod. Huh. Just because they needed a weird. Yeah. (laughs) Me and my girlfriend watching this movie, they both noticed immediately that there's just random smoke and this isn't the only scene where this happens also if you think back to batman forever there's also a lot of unnecessary smoke so i feel like this is just something that joel <laughs> schumacher really likes to do in his movies he just likes smoky scenes well, maybe smoke machines are cheap maybe and he just <laughs> likes that atmosphere but whatever yeah um yeah so the next note is just kind of a plot point deceased husband leaves an eight millimeter movie reel so he completes like one investigation earlier in the movie. That's how he determined he's a private investigator. And it's kind of set up that he's a really good private investigator. And he um, like keeps, keeps his word to people and keeps his silence on things. It doesn't go around spilling the beans. He's trustworthy. Even though this ends up being completely contradicted towards the end of the film. It does. Spoiler <laughs> alert. But that's like the thing that he's, you know, that's why people hire him right. for his discretion. Um, and so, yes, this older lady, which is she's apparently a famous person of some kind because she's she and her husband were very rich. Her husband passed away recently. And they had to break into his safe because he didn't leave the the combination. And when they broke into the safe, they found an eight millimeter millimeter film reel. And when they played it, it's it's a snuff film. It's a if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a film where. 
generally a woman is raped or sexually assaulted in some way and then murdered um and that seems to be what this video is although you know there's he doesn't know if it's real or fake and so she basically this older lady is hiring him to determine whether this video is fake or real that's the main reason but also to figure out why her husband has it mm-hmm. um so yeah, and it kind of shows you the shows the snuff film, and it uh, you know Nick Cage cringing and you know getting upset by the movie and everything else, just as you would expect a normal human to have a reaction to something like that. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit of a weird situation, right? We're we're introduced to the lawyer; he's yeah. there with the uh, the older woman, and they have just like this room off to the side where Nick can watch the film and yeah they set up an eight millimeter video you know player but like this is 1999 like eight millimeter was already well gone at that point so that's a right. little and they touch on that later right. in the movie he says that like you couldn't get this particular film reel after 92 yeah but then like the the woman is missing starting in 93 so who knows um well, i guess you could buy some and not use sure. it like you know. but they make it but, a point to say so the person so this movie was made 19 before 1992. So the, that's where that whole thing is. But anyway, the movie does that a few times where it tells us what it considers to be a fact. And then later it contradicts itself. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I don't even remember what's happening at this point, but we get, uh, we get to see Nick Cage like walking through a parking garage and there's more random smoke in the background just happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, I, I'm pretty sure it's just a Joel Schumacher thing. Uh, but then we get a scene with this family uh, kind of showing us that he's a loving father, despite, you know, what we may see later in the movie. Um, he does love his uh, daughter. You know, he is somebody that seems to care about his family. He may not do the best job at being a dad or a husband, but he does genuinely love his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we start seeing like his detective work about this film. Um, you know, he goes through and he tries to ID the the girl first of all so he goes to like a police station uh or he goes he yeah he goes to a police station does this happen before yeah because he has to have the girls named to go before he goes to the other place so yeah he goes to a police station he just starts looking for pictures he prints off a picture of a well i think it's important to note that he's allowed to do this because he's lying about who he is to everybody in the to movie. everybody yeah and somehow gets away with it basically every time yeah well i mean he's shown to or like it's established i didn't really have a problem with that because it's established pretty early on that he's a good private investigator and part of that i imagine is lying to get information if you if you're like if your only thing you care about if you don't have any care about morals or anything like that and really all you care about is finishing the case getting the answers then i can understand that and you know that's not something that's really hidden in any like you know you see a lot of detective films where people are doing that pretending to be somebody else oh, he does sure. it a lot in this movie yeah but um yeah he he lies to this police captain or whatever and they let him go into this missing person's room where it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of files on missing children missing adults etc um and so he spent days going through this mm-hmm um, and eventually finds a picture that he believes to be the match. Um, and so he goes and contacts that person's mom. Um, and I, I, my next note is actually touching on what you just said, is that he manipulates this victim's mom mm-hmm. by saying he's from the FBI, he's an auditor from the FBI, and they're checking to see if this case is still something they want to keep open, essentially. And so he manipulates her into letting him go through her room and, you know, talk to the mom about the stories about her things that may have happened. And uh, in going through her stuff, he finds a diary seemingly that hasn't ever been found by anybody yeah, so it's, it's in the it's in a toilet bowl, and it's not like the bowl, tank, the, tank, the tank. Yeah, yeah, in a Ziploc bag, um, which I mean, she's been gone five six years, and 
I guess that toilet's been fine the entire time. So good. Toilets on. are pretty reliable in like, general. I didn't find that hard to believe. Okay. All right, fair enough. Um, but yeah. It also looks like room. that toilet was in a room that hasn't really been used as attached to this bedroom. So yeah. it's not like they go through the, you know, this, this mom probably doesn't go through her potentially deceased daughter's room to go to that bathroom super often. Fair it's enough. like there's rubble and stuff in the bathroom. It's not clearly been taken care of. So well, just... that's yeah. It the mother is not particularly well off. It's not a good neighborhood. That kind right. Of thing. Also, yeah. did you get weird vibes about that whole thing? Like she kept trying to get him to drink or eat with her. her? Like I don't know if it was a romantic thing or what no, they were trying to I, set up there. I think she was lonely. Right. Like her her husband or whatever left her two years after the daughter goes missing. His, her daughter's been missing for five, six-ish years. Uh, she's not, you know, in a good financial place or anything like that. I think she was just very lonely. Yeah, that's fair. It's just they kept driving that point home quite a bit. They're very heavy-handed about that. Yeah. Because um, he runs into her multiple times throughout the movie, and every time she's asking him to, like, please stay for a drink or stay to eat or something. So, mm-hmm. um so in the diary, he reads about a boy that she wanted to run to California with, and they were going to become actors, and, uh, you know, that old yarn. Right. Um, so he hunts down the boy, essentially, who's now a man and is in jail. Played by Norman Reedus. Play- yeah, that was my next <laughs> note. Young, very, very, very young, young Norman Reedus. I almost didn't recognize him. I, I think mean, this is the youngest I've ever seen him. This probably is one of his earliest roles. I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of a jackass, like, dude talking about how her tits weren't that great. And like, you know, just kind of a just an asshole. You know, typical, there's no redeeming quality. You know, just an asshole to be an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, then we go to Los Angeles or Hollywood, you know that California area, right? Um, and it switches like this really weird Bollywood music for some reason. Did you think that was weird at all, or did it work for you? No, I it felt like it fit. Okay, yeah, you know, the Hollywood just, montage that I'm used to seeing. Sure, uh, it was like a Hollywood montage, but it was like Bollywood music. It just seemed very. I don't know. It's it stood out to me, and there's actually a couple of times that happens, but uh, and the music was fine. It just for me it didn't seem to suit the scene, but it obviously worked for you. So, um, you know, that's good. Uh, so then we get like montages of him going to strip clubs and adult you know, bookstores, adult bookstores, and, yeah. things like that. And <clears throat> so we got on our bingo card, topless women. At this point, sure, yeah, you know, which you can't have a Nick Cage film without that apparently, unless it's a G rated. Uh, animated film it seems to be more often than not yeah then he goes into this one particular bookstore where we get our first look at young joaquin very young max california (laughs) also probably the youngest i've ever seen him little on the nose with the name there like i'm pretty sure that was just a fake name but which is fine uh, um But he's weird, like he's an eccentric, like art, artsy kind of, you know, doesn't want to really work in a porn store. He's kind of like, like Aubrey Plaza in Parks and Rec, where he's just dry, kind of sarcastic. Um, you know, obviously a little more, a little more crude than that character is, but sure, yeah, um, yeah but that kind of vibe, you know. And he, what was he reading? Do you remember? I don't remember it was some. some... Like Hawthorne or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was book. something like root uh, hoity-toity type, you know. That he book. had like inside a book that like looked like it was like he's working at a porn like store, that. but he's yeah. really like this really smart guy reading, you know, really cutting edge, you know. I don't know, cutting edge, but really like important <laughs> books. Well, I'm glad they didn't like steer into it and be like, oh yeah, I'm actually like studying in college to be a whatever. Like they didn't do that, so that was that's good. true. Um. So, yeah, he meets him and nothing really happens except, you know, you know that this character is going to come back because they wouldn't get Joaquin Phoenix to play this character. Although in young Joaquin Phoenix, that's true. He wasn't the name he is today. So but I mean, I had a feeling because he's fairly high billing in this movie that he was going to probably be more than that one scene. Yeah. Um, So then he's watching the movie. He's watching the snuff film like 
a ton of times during in this. his motel or whatever in his motel yeah. room yeah and he like will project it onto wall and take then take like a digital picture of the the scene and so he does that and he notices that this uh in this one scene there's a third person mm-hmm. you know or there's a third uh like man in the room what is this presumed to be a man there's the cameraman there's the guy that murders and sexually assaults the woman and then there's this third person um and so he takes it to this place to get the 1999 best photo enhancement enhance yeah it was basically like that except they're like we have a hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollar machine for this photo enhancement now it's digitally rasterized and you can see it's like they're just spitting out buzzwords but uh yeah you can now clearly see that it's the back of somebody's head um yeah, I don't know what the point of all that was other than maybe to show us what Tom's able to do as a private investigator. I guess. I don't know. But since it um, goes nowhere. Yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere. And so now his next step is to try and find people that make snuff films. And, you know, in this world of this movie, you know, people act like snuff films aren't real. They're just like a, a myth, a myth, you know, yeah. a thing people talk about. Um, and they almost do talk about it like as if it's something to be looked up to, like, you know, it's like finding lost treasure because you're like almost like it's something good, which because this movie, a lot of it takes place in really bad places, you know, that I guess that works for that. But it's it's really weird the way they talk about it. But he decides that he needs to try and find someone that makes snuff films. And because these are such a rarity there can't be that many people doing it. So he figures if he like finds somebody, then maybe he'll be able to find out more. Mm-hmm. And so they go, he goes back to Joaquin Phoenix, who he just assumes is going to know everything about the underground of porn because he works in a porn shop. And well, obviously if you luck. work in a, yeah, I mean, if you work in a porn shop, then you must know everything about porn and like do all porn type things in your free time and everything else, you know? Uh, but so yeah, it turns out community. he yeah he got lucky, and Joaquin Phoenix does know everything about porn and the porn underground, so to speak. So they get several scenes of him and uh, Nick Cage's character going to these like weird flea markets. Of yeah, basement sales, porn. I think is what they call them. Basement sales, yeah. yeah, like one looks like somebody's greenhouse or something. Um, and they he asks for snuff films, and then he gets like a gun pulled on him um it's and... it's kind of wild because you know so max california talks about how like he doesn't watch he doesn't consume or endorse a lot of this stuff but he knows everything and everyone he knows yeah. everywhere to go everything to ask and i don't know those two things seem in conflict with each other i felt like he it's a little weird i almost felt like maybe you know there there might have been like a deleted scene that explains that maybe he like go, uh, after hours goes and gets specialized porn for these people that come in his shop if they request it or something mm-hmm. um maybe but, he, he claims he just points people in the right direction yeah but then he actually goes there when he points people <laughs> in the right direction and knows everybody by name um so yeah they go to several of these and it's really kind of horrible because you see like a kids section and you know you go to supermarkets and you see kids sections but this is a section for child pornography um and you know there's people that are like i've got the worst of the worst shit you know sexual assault rape you know whatever you want i've got it um and you know he'll ask his people about you know murder like killing or not murder but like you know snuff and they're like get the fuck out of here i don't know anything about that um well because they keep referencing max keeps talking about how things are like not quite illegal he keeps phrasing it in that kind of way and like look i I get that like the line that they're trying to get across is like well these people weren't killed but i still think like um a lot of that's illegal yeah probably right like i don't know just the way they were forcing the language seemed really odd it was just an odd way of, of distinction. Like, well, unless you kill somebody like that, yeah, that's illegal. The rest of it's not. Like, I don't know. That just really was odd to me. It was weird. Um, so then they do manage to find somebody that claims they have some snuff films and they sell it to them. 
for a for lot a crazy amount of money yeah that yeah, was a lot um, it was like two grand or something like that yeah and so they go to this uh i don't know if it's max's room i think it's max's room wherever he lives uh because he has like a poster for his band and shit up in his room and oh, so right. they, they watch these and this is at the point this is the point where i was like okay max is gonna die because anytime you get weird character development, like what we got in the scene for a side character like Max in a movie like this, it chances are mean it means they're not going to be long for this world. So we we find out in the scene that he was in a band and, you know, that he loves to play. He pulls out his guitar while they're watching the snuff film and just like hangs it around his neck. He doesn't actually play it or anything. You know, we just get a lot of personal information about Max that, you know, is really not necessary to the movie, mm-hmm. just to make you connect with the character a little bit more. Um, and so they eventually, I don't remember how they get to this point, but he finds out that she may have gone to like a well, convent. Well, first we find out that the, those stuff films films that are, are not real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, he notices that the, it's the same girl in the second one that was in the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it couldn't be real, obviously, because you can't kill someone twice. Yeah, I don't know how he knew what order they were filmed in or whatever, but... I mean, it doesn't really matter. They di- She died Does in she both. Did she die in both? Them, oh, so, okay. yeah. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, they, he, he, uh, he starts going to like these different convents and churches and things trying to find if she maybe stayed at one of these places yeah, like women's shelters yeah right that kind of thing yeah and so it turns out that there was a there's a suitcase one of the nuns recognized this woman that was here for less than a month you know six years ago or whatever and says oh we kept her suitcase all this time so you know he takes her suitcase and starts going through it and written on the one of the or something in the suitcase is twinkle twinkle little star the whole like poem uh or whole song or whatever and then on the back there's some phone numbers so he starts calling those and or, i think either this time or like a little earlier than this it, he there it's like kind of revealed that there's a, a weird guy tr- like following him yeah we get a little bit of that we never learn who's following him right yeah i mean it's a little it's a little weird but yeah it shows like the outline of a guy that's like behind him a lot um so he calls this number and it turns out that it's like a casting call for pornography essentially right and that's james gandolfini's character yeah and so uh you know he's got like 20 women in various stages of undress outside of his office and Nick Cage kind of bursts in and starts asking if uh, he knows anything about this girl. And he looks at the girl and, and uh, you know, no, I don't, I don't, he acts, he, but like, you can tell he thinks about it for a second. They're setting it up to like, oh, he knows something, but he's going to say he doesn't know anything. Right. And he refers to the women as like, he, he uses derogatory terms towards the women to make them seem like they're nothing. They're just objects to him. And he gets so much pussy and all this other stuff. Um, you know, just really crude about the way he's describing women and what they are. Um, so yeah, it's established basically everybody in this movie is an asshole. Um, so that night, he Nick Cage has some casual BE, which is my next note breaking and entering. Uh, mm-hmm. He breaks into the guy's office and bugs his phone, mm-hmm. um, and then stalks him for, for a few days. Yeah, somehow like rents a floor across the street and is like on a stakeout. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think at this point, after a couple of days, he just decides to call the guy and go, I know what you did to the girl. Yeah, because he's not what, getting what, what he happens. wants. He's trying to push the issue because he's running yeah. out of money. And yeah. So he, yeah, he, uh, he calls him and is like, I know what you did with the girl you know, you're fucked now or something like that. And it hangs up and you, and he's watching the guy through the window and he can see the guy immediately like freak out and call somebody. And whoever he's talking to is like, don't, don't ever call me about this. Nothing's going to happen. And then hangs up or something, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're so, supposed to assume that that's Dino velvet, Peter yes. Stormare's character. And so he, uses some piece of tech to play back the the tones for the numbers on the phone 
to reverse trace what number was called. And it turns out it's in New York. Um, and so he heads to New York. He flies all over the place in this movie, man, because he starts in, in Pennsylvania. He's in Harrisburg. He's in Hershey. He goes down to North Carolina at one point. Yes. And he brings Joaquin Phoenix's character with him. And Joaquin Phoenix knows about this. Max California knows about this guy named uh, Dino Velvet. And so he show he goes and buys some of these movies because apparently these movies are really hard to get. It's like, you know, it's a very limited release. Uh, and so he gets some of these movies somehow. He pays a lot of money for them, watches them. And in this porn movie, there's like random close ups of cats and dogs. Did you notice that? Yeah, that super was weird. weird editing. Yeah. Um, but Dino is a genius. He's he's the guy if you're looking for, you know, really crazy BDSM or potentially snuff films. I'm wondering um, if they were trying to keep the R rating and if they had shown what they originally had planned, it would have pushed beyond the R. Certainly possible. Um, but you know. One thing that I'm realizing around this point in the movie is that I didn't know how much I needed Peter Stormare and Nick Cage in the same movie. (laughs) Because, (laughs) to be honest, they do similar things. I don't think I've ever seen a role for Peter Stormare where I'm like, he is, this guy's phoning it in. I've never seen that from, he always gives 100%. Just like, that's one thing we love about Nick Cage too, is that he always gives his all to even the smallest roles. Yeah. Um, and Peter Stormare, I think, is very similar in that respect. And they both like to use their whole body and face in interesting ways. And so, yeah, just seeing the two of them in the same movie was really great. And I hope that that happens again. I don't know if it will or not, but uh, I hope we get to see him in some other movies with Nick Cage. That'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, he's a porn director in this movie. And so... Uh, Max California and Tom Wells, Nicholas Cage's character, go to uh, Dino Velvet to commission a porn film. And weirdly, they would they their request is that they want a black woman and a white woman, and then they want this guy called the Machine, who is the one that was in the snuff film and killed the girl, and who is in almost all of Dino Velvet's productions, or potentially all. of yeah, he wears okay. a mask. Nobody ever sees his face. He shows up in the mask. He leaves. Yeah, he's in the like mask. a. It's like a gimp mask, yeah. like a BDSM type, you know, leather mask. Um, and then Peter Stormare starts hitting on Nicolas Cage, and telling him he has a beautiful face. And honestly, I would have watched an hour and a half of just that. <laughs> See, I thought that was all about just trying to get like video evidence of Nick Cage for later. But, Could have been, yeah. but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past somebody like that to just, I mean, the way he's trying to play himself up as an artist. Right. Yeah. And I so, mean, you know, I appreciating was... the beauty of somebody, regardless of their gender, I think fits that pretty well. Fair so. enough. That's fair. The, the, fil- the, the cost of the film was cheaper than I anticipated. It well, was, remember this was 1999. It was only 10 grand to have That's a, true. to have a custom curated film made. I mean, I don't know feel like That's it would true. cost more than that but probably yeah um so he gives him a he says show up to this and like one of the Nick cage has two conditions for this film one is that the machine is there and is the one that does the sexual assault or whatever what it is and uh the second is that tom wells is able to watch it he wants to watch it live right uh, and so Dino tells him to come to this place at this time with the money. And that's where they'll be filming. And big surprise, it's a setup. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, when the when he shows up and uh, and the director is shooting a crossbow, you know, ominously. Peter there with a crossbow is just, a, that yeah, was great. At a, at a cross that's hanging on the wall. I mean, that was a little heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he's, is, is, there was many indicators that this is going to be a setup, but it was. And machine's um, already there, ready to go. Machine's already there. And so is the guy from California, the porn or the porn yeah, yeah, casting call guy, Eddie. Yeah. Um, he, who was the one that kind of tipped off Dino that this might be happening. Something's going on. And so, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to uh, kill him 
essentially. They they yeah. have him, yeah. yeah, Nick Cage. They have him tied up or like handcuffed to a bed, essentially. And they are um, kicking the shit out of him. Yeah, they kick the crap out of him, and then uh, he, they want the movie. They want the snuff film, the copy of it. And they they made something the comment earlier, like a throwaway comment saying you can't copy eight millimeter movies. So that's how they know that this is the only version. Yeah, I I should probably have looked into that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not. But regardless, that is a major and that has to be the plot point, plot point. Yeah. Because otherwise the whole thing is stupid. But um yeah. So they want this copy of the film because it's the only copy of the film. And so that's why they haven't killed him yet. And when he when he like refuses, they bring in uh Max California, who's all fucked up, um, and hang him on the cross, <laughs> the crucifixion. And uh yeah, that's a real big surprise for somebody that figured this out earlier when he started getting character development. Uh, and so, yeah. He gets his throat cut like two seconds later. Is that what um, happened? I wasn't sure if it was that or he I wasn't sure either. It it was a weird thing because like he's wearing a lot of necklaces. You yeah. can't really see what happens. And so I had to ask the person I was watching it with, like, did he just get his throat slit? Because uh, either way, yeah. something happens to his neck and he dies. Yes. It's very quickly. It was very quick, though. And so, uh, while the while Peter Stormare is threatening Nicholas Cage's character, he pulls a copy or a photo out that Nick had out of his wallet of Nicholas Cage's family, and he's talking about how he's going to kill them if he doesn't get him the photo or the video and stuff like that. And then, I'm hoping this was just improvised. Uh, Peter Stormare eats the photograph, like he just sticks it in his mouth. Yeah, for no reason, seemingly no reason, he just sticks this photo in his mouth, and then like a scene later, he spits it out and unfolds it. But I really just hope that was improvised. It did not feel like that was a scripted moment. Did that feel scripted to you? No, I mean that was a very like storm. Dino eats the photo in script. You know, like the photo. No, you're right. Yeah, I, I was I was too distracted. I think in the moment that nick's character would have that type of personally identifying stuff on yeah, him. as a private investigator you know and also not just the stuff. private investigator like this is obviously one probably the most serious case he's ever touched right there's yeah. there's murder involved there's lots of other violent crimes involved it's all he's dealing with all these people who are doing people nothing tell him like that he's stuff. way out of his depth the whole right? time yeah the whole time people are saying he's gonna die he's got his gun on him because he thinks shit's gonna go down but what's he doing he's keeping the family photos in his wallet Apparently, like that's just a bad idea, man. So, like, has he ever point... watched? I don't like when people in movies have never watched a movie. Well, he has in the movie. He watched. You know, what I, stuff you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Uh, so, at this point, we finally start to get some caginess. Um, you know, he starts losing his mind a little bit with the threat of his family, um, and we get he he goes out. So it turns out that the lawyer. Dun, dun, dun. It's revealed in this scene that the lawyer is really kind of the linchpin to all of this. Yeah. Um, and so he takes him out to Nick Cage's car to go get the film. Uh, and so apparently he just kept it in his car all the time. So, and at this point, oh. I thought it was a fake film. He had just bought like a an eight millimeter reel somewhere. And because they didn't do anything to verify that it was the actual film. They just, no, kinda... that's not true. He, he, uh, Eddie holds it up to the light and like looks at the frames. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. Never yeah, mind. Does. Then. I didn't know. But that. up until that point, though, I think that that was a fair guess that he was trying to, you know, not because you know it's he evidence. knows that it's the big piece of evidence here, and without yeah. it, you know, that most of this doesn't stick. Um, but like this is where like a lot of the logic of the movie started to fall apart for me. Like up until this point, like this is a brutal, depressing, difficult movie, but like well made and well acted until we get to this point and then it just kind of unravels for me because we learn that the lawyer specifically sought out and hired nick cage because he was young and inexperienced even though we've been told that he's like done work for senators and yeah. congress people other congress people and that's why this rich lady like you know was wanting to hire him and stuff so it's like all of a sudden he's gone from the PI of the Senate to this like green schmuck who can't get the job done. Like, right. I, but he's not exactly young in this movie either. That's the no. thing is it's not like, he's not like an 18 year old kid fresh out of college. Right. 
So like it just it doesn't so but the lawyer hired him because he's inexperienced. Yeah, I kind of wish they had just left that part out, and I was more than fine with the fact that the lady had just heard of yeah, you know, absolutely this character because totally he fine. did good work, right? Yeah, and just right. left rich it at people that. talk to each other, right? Sure. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or or even just if the lawyer had hired him, thinking nobody's going to dig deep enough to figure this out, and it was just a miscalculation. Right. Yeah. Like that can happen. Right. But it just seems all of a sudden the character we've been with for an hour and a half is apparently not that person. Right. You know, was, that bothered me. Yeah. It's a little weird. Um, we start to get our first action bits in the movie where, uh, so they bring the film back up to wherever this porn set is and uh, chain him back to the bed while Peter Stormare's character is going to burn the snuff film, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nick Cage is yelling about this million dollars and they did this for a million dollars because the widow had gone through the bank accounts and found out that there was a million dollars that was all all made out checks made out to cash um and so he kept yelling about this million dollars and so they kind of turn on each other in this moment the the villains i mean everybody well dino and eddie figure out that the lawyer basically stole their money yeah and so they turn on him and he pulls a gun on them and Dino has the crossbow. Uh, and so Dino ends up shooting him in the chest. And at the same time, the lawyer shoots at Dino and like nicks his neck in you know, an artery in his neck and they kill each other. That's not how I thought that was going to go down, by the way. That did surprise me. I mean, I didn't know how it was going to go down, um, but that was as good as any. I it was suppose. fine. Yeah. Uh, and the whole time that they're doing this, Nick Cage is like trying to pull the bed that he's handcuffed to to get closer because the villains left a giant table full of weapons, knives, guns, bullets. Well, it's his gun. Yeah, but they left it literally like just one foot out of arm's reach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so he manages to load one bullet into his gun <laughs> and he points it at, you know, the Eddie guy and he's like i'll kill your i'll kill your ass you know blah, 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 blah. and the machine is still there and he also nick at some point had hidden like a spike in his hand mm-hmm. that he was going to use if somebody came close and so the machine comes in and tries to stop him and he stabs the machine in the stomach uh and i can't remember does he kill eddie in this scene no 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 okay so he doesn't actually get the shot off at eddie at this point, he gets shot up, but doesn't hit Eddie. Yeah, the Eddie thing is much later. That's they, oh, he shoots his in a handcuffs, doesn't he? Yeah, he so he can free to himself. break off the handcuffs. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I had action for my note because we finally get some action in this movie. It wasn't just a drama. Mm-hmm. Um. And then we get more Bollywood style music. Is which, this during the drive away? I think so. Yeah. yeah when he's, he's like, like calling us down the road. Yeah, he's in a Crown Vic. He has several cars in this movie. He has. Uh, Ford Taurus, like a mid '90s Ford Taurus. When he's in Carolina, when yeah. he's yeah in his home, and then he gets a Chrysler Sebring convertible when he's in California, which is the Michael Scott mobile. If you're an Office fan, it's very <laughs> similar to the, to the car Michael Scott has, and is always bragging about in that show. And then yeah, when he gets to New York, he's driving like a Crown Vic. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, he's like drifting around these corners in this rear wheel drive Crown Vic, sliding around, you know, while he's on the phone with his wife. Because he has like there's bullet holes in the phone. windows and stuff. He it looked like a StarTac, actually, for those who remember the old StarTac flip phone. No, that was okay. Well, he was had like a the, phone and he was, that was calling the phone to have in 1999. He know? was calling his wife and he's like, You have to leave, you have to get the daughter and leave. Go to where we spent Fourth of July in 1997 or something like that. And uh, so they go, and apparently it's a shit ass motel. It's a terrible <laughs> like, place. man, if this is where you took your wife for a romantic getaway i'm sorry i needed more to that story why did they spend for <laughs> right maybe place? it was better than i mean i don't know oh man that's um, pretty bad but so yeah after he calls his wife he calls uh the and, widow yeah and tells the widow that it's real that her husband actually had a girl murdered and that he basically did it just because he could that's what and, the yeah because the lawyer tells him yeah because this whole so something we kind of glossed over a little bit is one of the keys is that tom wells wants to understand the motive the why behind all of this stuff that he is learning about throughout this movie because it's all horrible stuff and in his mind 
there's got to be a reason, right? And so the first reason he gets from the lawyer about why the rich old dude did this was because he could. He was so rich that he could do it. So he did it, which is a theme that carries on in the rest of the movie. Yeah. So he calls the widow and tells her all this and she wants the name of the victim and she's clearly distraught and clearly not like in a healthy place mentally, which obviously I don't think anybody really would be in this circumstance. No. Um, But yeah, so he hangs up with her. He said, I'll be by tomorrow or something like that. And we'll go over the details. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, he gets to that shitty ass motel. Um talks to his wife and you know tells her that we got to just be here for a few days we got to be here for a few days and she's threatening divorce saying like this is too much blah 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 and he keeps smoking through all of this in the whole movie he's smoking not not when he's around her but just like when he's just outside the door from wherever yeah. she's at he smokes smoke. a lot yeah um so then he goes to the widow's house and she has killed herself and she left two envelopes. One was was money for the family of the woman that was killed. And then one was to uh, Nick Cage's character, basically. I, I assume there was money in there, but... Yeah, uh, no, there, there was, because he talks later when he gives it to his wife about how like this is their kids' like school oh, yeah, and, that's right. and things like that. And, but there's also a note in there, yeah. you know, talking about how now this is case, this case is closed and, you know whatever else so uh then he goes back to california does he yeah to get oh Eddie. right sorry yeah so yeah he goes back to california and he basically kidnaps eddie and takes it he has eddie take him to well he follows eddie around for a while and he like interrupts a porn shoot that's happening by accident um, he doesn't mean by to accident it. yeah and then when, you know, he waits outside and Eddie eventually comes out, I think this is where he gets him, and he makes Eddie drive him to where they killed the girl in the snuff film. And uh, they take, he does take him there, and he ties him to, like, this hole in the room. It's the wall. The wall's all broken through. Yeah, so it's just, broken yeah. down. There's studs. It's like a stud in the wall that he gets He's tied He's using to. electrical wiring to tie him up. Right, he ties like around his neck and then ties that to his hands behind his back. Um, but then, yeah, the villain gives the full confession, gives all the information, uh, talks about how he didn't want to watch because you know he he was there because he had never seen somebody get killed before, but then when it was happening, he didn't want to watch. And uh, you know, he has basically a whole confession there, and he you know, tells Nick, just kill him if he's going to kill him. Just kill me. And he calls him uh, the F slang word for gay people, mm-hmm. um, which uh, so I had casual homophobia on there, which is on our not directly on our board. We have casual racism on our bingo board, but uh, homophobia is something we just kind of maybe we should change. agreed. Maybe we should just change it to like casual bigotry. Maybe yeah, that would better... be fine. But yeah, it's just uh... kind of all encompassing that 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 whole thing. Um, so that I didn't think we were going to get that in this movie, you know, 99, I guess 99 wasn't really starting to phase out that word. Unfortunately, it kind of went on into the early two thousands, but, um, yeah, he, so Nick Cage, his character kills, I keep saying Nick Cage is doing these things. He's not actually doing these things. It's just playing a role where he does these things. Tom Wells, Um, Tom Wells kills this guy he like pulls all the porn out of the guy's car or no does he well, shoot the guy first so, so it's pretty no, brutal he beats so, the guy with the with yeah because he's he's going to shoot him and eddie is all like oh what are you gonna do you're gonna you're gonna shoot me with the gun you have registered in your own name and like kind of thing which movies don't usually call that type of stuff out so i did think that was kind of interesting yeah. um you know that he's eddie's making the assumption that tom is too much of like a goody goody to know how to get away with you know a, a gun murder um right. right and so wells goes outside and calls the mother of of the girl and basically yes. like is begging for permission to kill eddie essentially. yeah so i put my next note was he's torturing this poor mom because yeah, he's that talking was about 
he calls his mom like late at night and she's like laying in bed and he's asking her to, you know, if she, if he loved her daughter and or if she loved her well, daughter. He, he asked like, this question in the first time when they meet of which would you prefer? Would you prefer to never know, you know, and just assume that she's happy and alive somewhere, but not know it for sure. Or would you rather know for sure, but know that it was bad and that she was dead? Yeah. And in the moment, she says that she needs to know. And yeah, it's a, it's an impossible question to ask a person who's in that actual situation. But she does right? actually answer it, so it's not that impossible. Well, apparently. what I mean is, like, it's it's a no win, right? Right. There's no true. there's no good answer, right? There's yeah. just the in the moment answer for that person. Um, yeah, and she does say that she would rather know, right? That she and have her be dead. And so he tells her that or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact conversation, but it was pretty brutal. Yeah. The conversation was he's, you know, really ruining this this poor mother's like life with this phone call. And uh then Nick Cage puts his murder outfit on, which is like a sleeveless t- like a sleeveless t-shirt. Like I don't said, know what that kind of shirt is called. I didn't notice that he that he changed. Yeah, so he's wearing that earlier in the movie, um, but he doesn't murder anybody at that point. But then, yeah, it's like a black sleeveless tee. Yeah, well, it looks a, more like a tank top with like shoulders. I don't it's know. A, it's, it's a muscle shirt. Is that what it is? Yeah, okay, yeah, it's shirts. a muscle shirt. It's a sleeveless, yeah. you know, muscle shirt. And yeah, that's his murder outfit. And uh, so I immediately turned to my partner and said, "Oh yeah, this is this is murder outfit. We're gonna see a bit of him with this because it's all black, you know, and he's yeah. got blood on his face." Um, but yeah, he beats the shit out of this guy with his gun, with, which yeah, with I don't know if pistol. that counts as Nick uses a melee weapon on our bingo board. So I I was gonna ask you, I counted it. Okay, we didn't, but I mean, I we definitely can. Yeah. So I um, I think anytime you use an object to, to beat kill somebody, somebody or yeah beat somebody then that counts. Okay. So yeah, then we got our Nick Cage just uses a melee weapon uh on our bingo board, our Cajo board. Uh So yeah, he kills this guy. He pulls all the porn out of this guy's vehicle, dumps it all around him after he's already killed him. Uh just tons and tons and tons of videos and pictures and burns it all down. Lights the guy on fire, you know, whatever, burns this building down. So then he's trying to get the machine. Right. Who is the guy, the masked guy? The masked guy from the movies. That's the last guy that he needs to deal with for this to be dealt with. Um, And so he's calling around to a bunch of hospitals in the area in California to find out if, pretend to be a police officer, trying to find if somebody came in with an abdominal wound, a stabbing wound, because he had stabbed the machine uh, with a spike of some kind during that kind of porn shoot brawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he finds out that there is one of these hospitals that the guy went to and he gets the guy's information. His name is like Gregory Appleby or something like that. It's like, it's, you know, the, the most generic white bread name, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have is- some problems about that stuff too. Cause like, like I'm not a HIPAA expert or anything, but I don't think a hospital in 1999 would be allowed to provide that information to just somebody over the phone. That's probably accurate, but then the movie wouldn't have made sense. So they did it. Um, (laughs) So then he goes to this guy's address and finds out he lives with his mother. um, And you get to see more of his murder outfit, but then he adds matrix sunglasses to it. And there's like a big scene of him screwing a silencer onto his gun, which he apparently got somewhere because he kind of shows his kit that he travels with earlier in the movie and you just see the pistol there's no silence or anything like that and he doesn't even usually carry the pistol the way the wife talks about it mm-hmm. uh, but so i guess just... he hasn't learned anything from his conversation with eddie uh, like about the gun being registered in his name right. and all that but but he somehow acquires a silencer to fit his gun and you know he, he's now turned into hitman um and so, yeah, he, uh, I put, where, where did he get his silencer? Uh, so then he goes into the house and starts searching for, for the machine. There's like weird Russian metal or something playing. Yeah. Uh, and he's walking, it's like a really long one take, uh, or like one shot, you know, like there's no cuts for a lot of this. Did you notice that? 
when he's in the house. It was really weird. I don't know why would they went with that for that particular shot, but it was good. I always well, like seeing those kind of shots. I think they shot it inside like an actual house. And so I would imagine it was just difficult to set it up for shooting. Well, they probably wanted to make it feel very small too. And yeah, so and they they, did. that that was effective for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's in and he can't find this guy, even though the music is on and like it keeps turning on. And uh, eventually the guy shows up with his mask on and knocks uh, Nick Cage's character out the window. Uh, my next note here was um, he's raging against the machine. <laughs> Cage is raging against the machine. Yeah. So just wanted to let that one marinate for a second. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, they're fighting and like, I thought for a second, this is going to be another one where Nick Cage dies at the end, but he kills the other guy with him. Yeah. I thought that too. So yeah, they get into a fight. Nick Cage gets gut stabbed and, uh, they're fighting in a graveyard as if that's not heavy handed, you know, everything else wasn't heavy enough now that they're fighting in a graveyard and he ends up killing this guy. He makes him take his mask off and the dude just looks like a generic, you know, guy like a accountant or something, mm -hmm. you know, wearing glasses. And he's like, what did you expect? What do you think I look like? Or something like that. And in the whole movie, they're making it seem like it's going to be some big reveal when we finally find out who the machine is. Um, but then, you know, when it got close to the time when we were going to find out, I was like, there's nobody in this movie that has shown that it could be. They haven't set up anybody. Right. But I think so that's the point, I, though. Right. And and I get that. But then don't act like, you know, this is going to be a big reveal to the audience. You know what I mean? Why set it up that way? We, you know, Well, because we're we are I think that's because our. You know, telescope into this is Wells. So we are just following along with him and Wells is expecting it to be somebody significant, some horrible, terrible person that can be linked to some bad group or something like that right and so we're just there to experience it how he experiences it i mean i get that but you know we wouldn't know that he was linked to some horrible group when he took his mask off because there's nobody that no. has been in this movie that has you know been linked to a group like that no, you know what i, I mean I, like i agree it's because... the mask reveal in the moment there's no way that could have been big no but i think that's on purpose Okay. Right. Because um, I, I think it's because this entire time Wells keeps expecting there to be some big answer. So he's still expecting some big reveal. Right. I get that right. in character, but right. as an audience watching the movie and seeing all those things happen, you know, going into this, or at least I knew there's nobody else in this movie that it could be, that would be a big answer. So I get that his character is looking for something that's a big answer. His character may have knowledge that the, uh, that the, audience doesn't have you know of people in that universe that haven't been in the movie but as an audience member we've only been introduced to so many characters sure. so there's no way that we could be surprised as an audience member right. and go oh man that guy is a really bad dude now everything makes sense maybe him as a character could be because like i said he might have knowledge of things that happened in that universe that weren't pertinent to the movie before mm -hmm. this but we knew that it wasn't going to be so that reveal I don't know. It, I guess it just didn't really work that way for me. Maybe it did for you. I, I understand what you're saying, but it just in the moment just seemed like, okay. I mean, I expected it to just be some generic guy that I don't know who it is because there's no one else in this movie that it could be. Fair enough. That it's going to set up in the last 10 minutes to be this horrible person, you know, unless they took the mask off and it was Hitler or something, you know, that was from our <laughs> That world. would have surprised me. That would have gotten <laughs> That would have been oh. a hell of an ending. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so he gets stabbed, but he ends up killing the guy, and I guess he drives himself to the hospital while he's bleeding out because there's a, a scene of him just like falling out of his car at mm -hmm. the hospital. Um, and then the next scene is basically the end of the movie. He's he's back with his family at his house, and he's raking leaves, no smoke this time. And uh, the mailman shows up and he goes and looks at letters in the mail and he got one from uh, from the mom of the woman that was murdered. And at this point, in my and well, not in, just in my head, I spoke it out loud, but I, I was like, I wonder if they're going to clear up whether he gave the money to that family or not, or that woman or mm -hmm. not. 
And it does. There's like a letter that it reads out loud, you know, talking about how the woman hated him for what he did, but that she's glad he finally got the truth. And, you know, thanks for the money. And, you know, it's just kind of a depressing ending. Like, thanks for finding out that my daughter was murdered. Oh, yeah. Sexually assaulted, you know, right before she died. It's deeply depressing. Right. I mean, the mother, I guess, to some extent, gets a level of closure, even though it's horrible. Um, Nick is Nick. Tom Wells is obviously like deeply traumatized by everything that he experienced. Uh, You know, one of the few like brighter spots of the movie, Joaquin Phoenix, he's long dead at this point. Um, Seemingly Wells and his wife work everything out because they're all still living together at this, at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, But you know, the old woman, uh, Miss Christian or whatever, she kills herself. Right. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, the bright spot is that all three bad guys or four bad guys get killed too. Um, yeah you know so i guess there's that i mean i did i did actually think that this movie had some franchise potential and i'm kind of surprised that they didn't do a few more of them because if you think about it in the sense yes it's very depressing but if you think about in the sense of this like private investigator that is slowly delving into like this much darker and deeper world so movie through there is a sequel oh is there so it's it's is it called nine millimeter? No, it's called eight millimeter two. Uh, okay. Why eight, is it called eight to the second power millimeter or something like that? No, I, and I don't know. I don't know any of these people who are involved in this movie, like at all. I don't recognize off the top of my head any of these people. But the synopsis for the sequel is: an American diplomat and his fiance venture into the sordid underworld of sex and pornography in Budapest, Hungary, to find out who is blackmailing them with a porno video taken of them with a prostitute. Okay. So there was a sequel, but I I mean, I more clearly thought that that it would be a a franchise with Nick Cage's character. Um, He doesn't do many sequels. I know he doesn't. Well, he did the Croods too. That's a big one. He did Kick-Ass 2. I think Um, that's it. Just those two, right? Just like, but he only has like one scene in Kick-Ass 2 and it might actually be like a replay for the first one. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to actually go back. Ghost Rider 2. Spirit of Vengeance. Oh, right. Ghost Rider. Uh, So he does do sequels occasionally. But I did think that this would be a a a good potential franchise for the character. Obviously, they didn't go that route. But it wasn't like, you know, it was it was an it was a good movie. It was like really deep subject matter, tough subject matter. But the movie was well made and well executed, I thought, for the most part um it started to fall about a part of it in the third act but uh yeah it, i thought there was some potential there clearly that's not the case or it was the case they just went a completely opposite direction and made it completely unrelated sequel yeah um but yeah i mean i, I it's probably about time to rate this bad boy but yeah I, I i actually for the most part enjoyed this movie um you know i'm not gonna watch it again but yeah um i i don't think i liked it as much as you did i've got some story problems with it um but yeah so the way we do this part is we rate every movie based on overall quality and then overall level of caginess zero through 20 zero low 20 high uh i'll i'll kick things off this time and from a quality standpoint uh i just i i don't know um I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a 10. Okay. That's going to be my quality is going to be a 10, which puts it really with city of angels. Um, That's what I gave city of angels last episode, but keeps it below things like it could happen to you or Joe or guarding tests. All of those I thought were gone in 60 seconds. I thought all of those were better. So uh, 10 for quality. Caginess is pretty low. Overall, there's yeah, a here, few why don't moments. I give my my rating? Before oh, yes, we go to I'm cases. sorry. Yes, it's yes. okay. I was pretty similar to yours. I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't love it, but I did. I do see why people do enjoy it. Um, I, I so I was going to give it an eleven. An so eleven. Okay, I wasn't so, that far off. No, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better then. Um, yeah, but yeah, caginess. Um, we didn't get. He was actually a pretty like 
he 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 was just a normal guy through most of the movie until he kind of snaps in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, but once he does snap, we do get a good amount of you know that caginess we're looking for. Uh, so I don't know. I, th- I was thinking like maybe a six. Interesting. Caginess. Okay. Where where are you at? I I was thinking a five. Okay, so we're again we're not far yeah. off. Yeah. So okay, cool. So that gives us a ten and a half on quality and a five and a half on caginess. So that puts it uh, in a kind of an interesting category. Uh, it's kind of our lowest quadrant so far, but you'll have to go to comingofcage.com. You can check us out and see all of our little cageometers to see where all 29 films map out. We'll release this one later in the week. Uh, we do have to figure out which movie is going to join our wheel o cage. So we always spin our wheel o cage to pick our next movie, but we have to add movies to it so the movie arsenal will join the wheel to find out what nicholas cage movie we're going to talk about next again comingofcage.com you can find our wheel o cage spin for that on our social media handles and we'll uh we'll find out when we spin that wheel ryan anything else about eight millimeter um no no i mean it was fine if this is a movie that interested you and you want to know more about its production, it does seem like there was a lot of behind the scenes things happening between, you know, director and writer and studio and some of the actors and things like that. So go ahead and look into that. If that is of interest to you, I think it does have a very interesting production cycle compared to some other films. So I'm not going to go into all that, but you can Google it. So that's going to be it for us. We, of course, are the Coming of Cage podcast. You can find us at comingofcage.com where we post our podcast episodes, YouTube video versions of the show. We post our Wheel Cage episodes and our new Cajo Bingo series where we go through our Bingo Cajo cards and see if any of us gets a bingo for this particular movie. So you can go check out all of that stuff. I'm Derek. That is Ryan. Yep. Yup. Thumbs up from Ryan and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening or watching. <laughs>